exciting news, Piers. We're in the news. We're pretty chuffed and humbled to have had Marie Claire Australia recognise our work as a diversity-driven media company in my recent interview with the brilliant Grace Back. In this intimate profile, I recount my move from climbing the corporate finance ladder to building a podcast agency to what it means to be a woman of colour in media. We discuss the challenges of pivoting careers, the Pierce Project's legacy and career-shaping moments since the company's inception in 2018. I'd absolutely love if you could head to the link in this episode's description, read the feature and DM me personally on Instagram to let me know what you think. My Instagram handle is at Misha Kidnor. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. And we're back with another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. This one is a culinary delight, so snacks on hand are encouraged. With a degree in computer science from Cornell University, a place on the coveted Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and the co-founder of female tech startup Simba, Nikita Gupta's track record looks ideal, and that's because it is. But her entry to technology wasn't inspired through gaming or innovation. Instead, it was her lifelong passion that took her digital food. In this episode, Nikita shares the importance of change, the dark side of business, and the fight for women in STEM. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Nikita. Nikita, Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you were doing in the tech and the business space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I'm honored. And I was really excited when I saw you reach out to me on LinkedIn. So happy to share more about myself, my story, and just talk about, you know, all of the experiences that I've had. Love that. I know it's always, you know, sliding into the LinkedIn DMs can be yeah. a little <laughs> bit intimidating, but um, we make it happen. I love that. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Nikita Gupta, born and raised in New Jersey in the USA. 
And I'm currently the co-founder and CTO of Simba. Uh, Not for the Lion King, but for symbiotic relationships. So my journey has started from being the daughter of immigrants and being raised in a household of entrepreneurs, as well as a lot of technology focused. Usually for Indians, it's like either you have to be an engineer, lawyer, or a doctor. So I chose the engineer route. I'm happy to share about this, share more about this later, but my story into engineering started off with my passion for cooking. And then I studied at Cornell University in upstate New York and obtained a degree in computer science engineering with a minor in entrepreneurship and business. I got really excited about using technology in different sectors because it's such a versatile field. So I've worked in food tech with Martha Stewart. I did investment technology at Bank of America. I was working at a startup that was focused on government relations. And software engineering has been really applicable for me in a lot of different industries. And then fast forward a couple of years, I met my now co-founder at a woman in tech conference in D.C. And from there, we've been on this journey together of building a platform to help companies manage and streamline their remote internship experiences. But we have a bigger vision than that to tap into just remote work management. Oh my goodness, I love it. It's funny because when I looked into you and all the and all the things, I was like, wow, like she's done so much. And I guess what I find fascinating, and I want to dive into the business, and I want to dive even into kind of your pre that and your experiences there. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is. Where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I've grown up in New Jersey. Um, We were out of New Jersey for a couple months here and there, but pretty much in New Jersey. So I currently am from the Princeton, Central Jersey area. And both my parents had an arranged marriage in India and then moved to the U.S. So like a very typical Indian couple who moves to the America with only like $10 in their pocket type of kind of story. <laughs> so my parents, um, I was there, for, I'm the eldest daughter. I have one younger sister and I grew up in New Jersey. So my dad's an entrepreneur. He's in the tech industry. My mom was also, um, she has a really creative and arts background, but then she uh, switched into the IT field as well because she was interested in that. And it's also a very lucrative area. So I grew up with both my parents involved in the IT and tech space. And I would like to say that I have a tiger mom, but not so much of a tiger mom. But I grew up in a household where education was really important, but then also having a balance. So my parents put me through dancing classes and tennis, and I played the flute for eight years, and I was cooking a lot. I was swimming and playing basketball and just cross country. So lots and lots of different activities. But the main thing was, you know, as long as you get good grades in school, you can still have fun. So I'm very fortunate to have parents who um, supported education in every single way. One of the rules that my dad said was, if it has something, if you want to buy something and has something to do with your education, like go for it, I'm not going to stop you. So in that way, like was able to you know, get all the books that I wanted and the computers that I liked and really focused on, you know, enhancing my knowledge and growing from there. And yeah, so I worked really hard to get into an Ivy League university. It was one of my dreams to get into an Ivy League. And then once I went to Cornell, um, I learned so much there just from the friends and the experiences and the classes that I took and how I was able to diversify outside of my computer science major. And that's taught me a lot. 
since then, yeah, I've just been shuffling between San Francisco and back home. And I've also lived in multiple other cities too. So I'm still very close to my family, very grounded in the culture and the traditions that I've been brought up with. It's so interesting. You know, I love asking that question because it does give us so much more of an insight into you and, and almost like where the desire to start a company or even to be in tech of the space that you're in came from. And I think it's so interesting that your parents, although they did almost have that very traditional kind of very traditional um, thing back in India, you know, when they came to the US and with you guys, it was almost as if, you know, not free for all, but like, you know, as long as your studies are good, then go for it. You know, what do you think that freedom, having that freedom to actually, I guess, pursue passions in the early days and in particular your cooking? Um, I've looked a bit into that and it seems super cool. You know, what do you think that, I guess, that freedom gave you and, and I guess taught you about, about the world around you? Mm, I can go on about this. <laughs> so, I am a nerd, but not really. I don't come across as a nerd, but in, I'm just trying to preface that, <laughs> trying to preface that in a way because yes, like I was forced to do my homework. I was the type of kid that would stay up really late or get up really early in the morning, but I, I'm not, I'm not an A plus student. So I was doing everything that I could focused on education, but I think as long as I was you know, doing well and not failing my classes, I felt that I had the freedom to go ahead and learn and put and just test out different activities. My parents were definitely like, you know, education comes first, then you can do your other activities and have fun. So it speaks to both like my middle school and high school experience as well as in college too. I started cooking because I am a foodie. My parents love entertaining and hosting and food's really important. We, you know, every night that we could, we would always have a family dinner together. We rarely had dinner by ourselves and you know unless if like my mom was juggling us and our activities and carpooling and that kind of stuff so um, when it came to food I love eating I love experimenting and trying new things I literally eat everything so my mom was cooking a lot and it started off with you know just sitting in the kitchen and where I was sitting in the kitchen I would do my homework while she was cooking I got interested in the culture behind Indian cuisine and and also just having the ability to travel a lot um, allowed me to experience culture through food, not so much through, I mean, and history as well, but you really get to learn a lot when you're dining at a different restaurant or just talking to people locally and as well as like connecting over food. So it's, I started off in the kitchen, just helping my mom here and there soon enough after that graduated to actually cooking dinners for my parents, friends, or just family that was over. And in high school, my dad was like, okay, you're cooking a lot, but you know, you need to do something with this because we can't imagine you going to the culinary Institute for education right now. And you're good, but you're not that good, but also you need to have a backup plan. So my dad was like, okay, like, you know, let's figure out a way to just, you know, monetize as you're doing this for so much, you're doing it. It's, It's a lot of fun. You're spending a lot of energy. Let's figure out what to do with it. So I developed a website and that was my first exposure to programming even though computer science is nothing as simple as developing a website, there's so much more to that. But I created a website to share my videos with the friends and family around the world. And A, that allowed me to share my passion for cooking with others. And B, it exposed me to computer science. And that's when I was like, wow, CS is letting me use technology in this industry that I really am passionate about. And then fast forward, I went to Cornell's where I studied computer science. There also, like I took my major was CS, but I took a lot of classes outside of the computer science engineering department. They have a great hospitality program. They have a great undergraduate business as well as business graduate program. 
So I was able to get a lot, get my feet wet in a lot of different areas. Again, because for me, it wasn't just like focus on CS. It was more about like focus on different industries or classes and get a lot of different experiences because that's going to be beneficial for you in the future where then you can figure out how you can use technology and integrate that with it. Fascinating. I I want to, I guess, yeah, just touch on that, you know, that idea of actually exploring outside of our main field or what we're doing. You know, for you, you saw so much value in it. It almost, I think, came naturally. You just kind of did that. You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe that doesn't come super natural and maybe for them it's just like, well, I'm going to go study this thing or do this whatever career. And and that's just where I want to stay. I want to stay in, you know, quote unquote, my lane, or maybe they think they have to, you know, what advice would you give to them? So there's a caveat to this. It's very hard to jump into a business. You have to be very smart about it when you want to jump into pursuing your passion. You obviously have to be aware of your financial standing. Like, can you support yourself in pursuing this passion if you don't have other means right now? If that, if that, um, if that checks your box, if you're able to check that box, then I would say like, if there's something that's giving you true happiness, it's a, you know, it's a cliche saying like money will follow when you're really passionate about something, but, um, make sure that you have like the right skills to support what you're passionate about, because you just don't want to dive into something without experimenting it. So one, um, one piece of advice that I would give myself actually is that like when I started Simba, I personally think that I dove in too quickly into developing the product, into just jumping off of my other full-time job without, you know, having a substantial base to the company at that time. I wish I'd given myself more time on working at it a part-time for a couple more months or just like really acquiring more customers and a lot more feedback on what the product that we were trying to build. So when it comes to jumping into something next, just make sure that like you have your foundation laid out so that way you can support yourself afterwards. I was able to support myself. I'm very fortunate that like I saved up a lot of money for my first job. I had parents who were willing to bring me back home and still let me crash in my bedroom and all of that. But you have to just assess and make sure that you're making the smart decision. And then, you know, always, if you have a passion project, just start it on the side. If you can allocate even a couple hours a week for it, do that. And then jump into, make that a full-time opportunity when it demands your full-time hours. And for you, was talk to us about the cooking thing. So when you got the website up, was that, when did it get to a point, where, did it ever get to a point where you thought, oh, well, maybe I'll just do this full-time or, or, you know, talk to us about that progression there and your where your head was at at that time. Of course. Unfortunately, it never got to the point where I wanted to be full-time into it, though I really really like I did want to it just never got to that point I was very I mean I've been featured on tv featured in newspapers I was very active in high school even when I was in college I was able to partner up with a PR individual who helped me scale my brand so I was getting like free samples and I was doing a lot of like collaborative cooking videos but um with the with my education it just became a really heavy load but I was excited and did want, you know, told myself that in the future, I definitely do want to do something in food tech. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm passionate about it, but once I find the right idea or the right time in my life, then I definitely do want to jump into that sector. What is the value in waiting and pursuing our passions later? You, well, you don't want to wait too long because if someone steals your idea, you're going to regret it. But I would say there's value in waiting because you know if you're the right fit for it and if you truly like that idea. But if there is something that you know that the market needs right now, 
and you know how to fix that problem in whatever field it is, then like I said earlier, start with it part-time and do it as a side project. And when it demands your full-time hours, then make the switch. I love it. Amazing. So I want to dive a bit deeper now into your time at college. You know, at college, you were super active. You launched something called Girls Who Code, which I think actually kind of did very well, that initiative. And then obviously after graduating, you headed to DC for your first, I think it was your, I think you did a job at Aquarium, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that time there, I guess, those final years of college and then heading into um, the working world. Of course. So I launched a chapter of Girls Who Code. I was heavily involved in women in technology at Cornell. So I was really passionate about giving other women the opportunities to be able to be confident and show that they're as equal or even better than, the male, than their male counterparts. Computer science in general is a very male-dominated industry. And even in classes, my freshman year, I remember I was one of the first, not first girl, I was the only girl in some of my CS classes when it came to working on group projects. One of the places that I did an internship at, I was the only female of a team of 17. So it's definitely like there's a lot of male dominance in this field. So I was really passionate about doing women in computing as well as Girls Who Code to start girls at a young age and be confident about pursuing a field in technology, as well as on campus, hosting recruiting sessions and resume reviews and interview practice and just giving a lot of my female peers the resources to be able to get stellar jobs in technology. So those were a couple of my um, activities on campus. I was a part of some other couple of like organizations that did a lot of service on campus as well as the salsa dance team and something called Spoon University, which was another outlet for me to just share a passion for food. So it was a blog for food for college students. And we hosted a couple of events here and there. So I found ways to keep my passion for food alive. And then after college, I graduated without a job, actually. So all of um, it was really funny because it was the end of May and all of my friends were thinking about going backpacking in Europe and Southeast Asia. And I come home after graduation when I pack up my dorm and everything. My parents are like, you cannot even think about any vacation until you get your job and you know what you're doing. So I came back home. I recruited heavily for a couple of weeks and I never thought about moving to D.C. I was always split between either New York City or San Francisco and I found this company when on an onsite interview and I fell in love with them. They are an incredibly, um, it was a young team at that point. I was like working directly underneath the CTO of the organization and I learned a lot. I, it was definitely very challenging at first because like I said, I, I am not the A plus student. So <laughs> there was a big learning curve for me, but I was able to get by really learned a lot. I helped develop two major features of their platform, just made some lifelong friends and took everything. Um, A lot of what I learned from my first job, I've actually been able to apply it as being a founder myself, which I'm really grateful for that there was so much to learn from that first job. And I was able to take those experiences and move forward with it. Oh, I love it. You know, I think it's so rare that, you know, we, we finish up college and we recruit for a couple of weeks and then we find almost like that dream job, you know, for our, you like, it, it's just so interesting. What, I guess for our peers out there listening who maybe they're at a place where they're, and especially with the current climate, you know, 
they're quite stressed and anxious about the fact that they may not get a job or they may not be able to go for that dream job and they're just not too sure what they really should be doing in order to best position themselves. Like, what advice, yeah, what advice would you give to them? Your first job will never be your dream job. You just need to get a job that gives you the skills that you've spent four years learning in university. And you, well, you definitely don't want to find a job that's killing you, but you know, it's not always going to be the best job. The whole point is that like you're building a foundation for yourself and you're building credibility to be able to move forward to the next position or the next company. I never thought I would go into like government and politics and like work for like a gov tech company. That was like one of my least um, interested areas, but I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely built a solid foundation and I've learned so much from it, but, um, yeah, when it, just a piece of advice is like, don't be stressed about your first job. You're, you will most likely not be at your first job for the rest of your life. So you just have to go with that mentality that you're going for your first job to get some experience, to get some skills, to start making some connections. And you're using that as a launch pad for your, for your next step. And that's one thing that you just have to tell yourself is that like, unless if, you know, unless if it's the perfect fit for you and you do see yourself in it for the rest of life, then that's great. But for the most part, you will switch. Whether it's one year down the line, two years, five years, you will change it. But just make sure that you're constantly growing because that way it'll help you find out what the next opportunity is. How can we make sure that we are constantly growing? Yeah, being challenged at work. So I have a firm belief that like, if I'm in my comfort zone, I actually like start getting a little agitated. I'm like, everything is like too calm right now. Like something and like some havoc must be wrecked like <laughs> sometime. I think as long as you're always out of your comfort zone, you're growing. If there's, uh, I used to like every night, I would always tell myself like, what are like two to three things that I've learned today? And if I couldn't think of two to three things that I've learned, then I was like, well, that day was a waste. But if I could think of something that I learned, whether, you know, it could be as small as like a fun fact, as well as like something as large as like a whole new technology stack. But um, as, when you're out of your comfort zone, you're challenging yourself and you're learning. And that's what I define as growth. When's been a time for you where you were most out of your comfort zone? Last year. So, and so in two ways, actually, last year and this year, last year was a very challenging time for Simba. We, that's like a whole new lesson of like how to listen to mentors versus investors versus taking the advice that you want versus trying to figure out how to run a company and try to convince people that like, you know, remote internships is a thing. (laughs) Now everyone sees it, but back then it wasn't, you know, it was so hard. There were definitely like really low points in my life where I was, you know, feeling the imposter syndrome. I was like, what am I doing? Is this like, should I even be here? I know that I can, you know, hop into and try to get another job, but I really do believe in what I'm doing and I want to make this work out. So that helped me understand and like evaluate. There was, there were, there were a lot of lessons that came out from there in terms of like, you know, what to do in challenging times when running your own business. But then also fast forward a couple months to earlier this year when the remote internships actually boomed I've um, been out of my comfort zone every single day since like February, every single day, like our company is growing and there's so much learning. I'm like doing customer success and customer support all the way to actually building out the product and doing software engineering and then helping out with sales and then working with my co-founder on raising money for our, to scale our product and company forward. So every day I've been putting myself in um, out of my comfort zone because I know that my comfort zone an equivalent comfort zone for me would be like sitting at my desk and just like programming for 10 hours. And 
I mean, I don't want to like be really vocal about this, but I don't believe like when I graduated, I was like, I don't want to go to a big company because I feel like I'm going to become like a little nobody versus like having the opportunity to be able to find my own, found my own company as well as be the CTO has allowed me to make big decisions and like project in any track that I want. I'm not following a structure. There's no recipe, which is a little daunting, but at the same time, it's really exhilarating. I love it. Amazing. So I wanted to be, dive a bit deeper now into Simba. So can can we start with, I guess, you know, what the company is again for all of us? And then what were the first few steps you took to get it off the ground? So Simba is the platform um, where we're trying to streamline remote internship programs. And it started off with my co-founder, who was one of the first remote interns for the Department of State. And she had an incredible experience. This was about 10 years ago when she was a part of a handful of students who were able to intern during the camp during the college year. So while she was all the way, you know, not she was not based in a city like DC, San Francisco, or New York, but she was still able to get such a prestigious remote internship. And I met her at a woman in tech conference a couple of months after I had moved to DC. And she was wearing this beautiful blazer. I went up to her, complimented her on it. And then the rest is history. So like we, she pitched this idea. She had this idea that she wanted to connect students from all around the world with remote internships. And we, I was really excited about it because I had such great internship experiences. It taught me what I wanted and didn't want out of my career. And then I was like, okay, cool. Like I have some time. I want to, you know, help you out in any way I can. Um, I'm learning so much in my current job, but I want to see if I can help you build out a product to take us forward. So we originally, you know, we've pivoted so many times, like just a brief overview of our pivots is like from a marketplace to then talking to HR individuals and actually learning that, you know, these companies cannot even think about remote internships because managing their actual interns right now that are coming into the office is a challenge. So that stemmed from creating a platform that helped manage that. And then we were getting a lot of advice and a lot of advice because we were a young woman of color, female founders, and everyone thinks that they're always right. And they're telling me, do this, do this, do that, do this. And when you're a young entrepreneur, you want to absorb as much as you can. And you really don't have a filter of like making the right decision of what you believe is right, especially because everything is like so exciting at that time and everyone has happy years on, but we pivoted into this, um, into increasing our market and tapping into like the gig economy where we're now focusing on freelancers and contractors. And then we, this is like where it's been, it's a bit challenging because I've never been a freelancer or a contractor myself. So I was like, what am I doing in this sector when I don't even know like how to manage or like, what is the, what is the ABCD of like freelancing contracting? So then my co-founder and I like took a, you know, we looked at each other and we were like, okay, what is it that we're actually passionate about? Like we're passionate about remote internships. We're passionate about giving, opening up the workforce and giving students from all around the world an opportunity to open up their laptop and work for their dream company all throughout the year. You don't have to be living in DC, San Francisco, New York, or any high metropolitan city. You don't have to go in in a suit in the summer and sit there for 12 weeks. Like there, we're, tur- we're trying to turn internships over on its head. So when we really like evaluated what was getting us internally excited and what we wanted to do, then we pivoted back to the internship space. We started reaching out to organizations and students started coming to us, especially because we've been Forbes 30, we've been featured so much, like we started building a brand. And then that's when, you know, COVID came as a blessing too. It really did change and rock the world. And 
ever since companies decided to go remote for their internship programs, it's, I wouldn't say smooth sailing, but it's definitely been, you know, what the product that we had created and crafted before is now being used by people. And that's what gives me a lot of like, you know, happiness and satisfaction inside. It's just so cool. I think, I just think it's so important to talk about, and I want to dive a bit deeper into it. Those first couple of years, it takes years, you know, or I know you're only, only I think two and a half years or just over in, but even that first year of pivoting and not really knowing exactly where you're going to be. I think people, you know, I think there's this, this misconception that you start a company and it's, it's all glossy and then you get Forbes and then you, you know, and it's just, it's just so not like that. So I guess talk to us a little bit about, you know, I guess the dark side of business. So the stress you were going through in that first year, I mean, as you said, like you quit a a great job that, you know, obviously was paying the bills, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the natural thing is, well, the next thing I do has to be successful, but often it takes so many wrong turns. So talk to us a little bit about your mindset there, the the pain maybe that you were feeling, the insecurity and yeah, what you kind of did during that time. Hmm. (laughs) Brings me back to the dark ages. I'm just kidding. I mean, happy ears. There's like, as a person entrepreneur, when someone's like, oh, I love your product and you're giving these demos. Actually, like, let's, like, let's rewind a little bit. I think, you know, when I come on, you know, I come on the camera, I'm doing, I'm giving a demo. Like I'm a fun, like young woman of color. Everyone's super impressed that I'm in tech and everything. And they're like, oh, we love the product. We're so like, you should be so proud of what you're doing. And we were getting so much of that. And we're like, oh my God, people are liking it. Like we're onto something here, but it really wasn't the case. And at the same time, people, I respect everyone that tries to, you know, that is taking their time out to give me advice. But at that time, I was absorbing too much of it and I wasn't filtering out what I like truly believed in. So again, like, you know, one person saying this, someone saying that I'm like, you're right, you're right. You know, he's like a 50 year old man and is probably right because he's had so many years of experience than I have. But, you know, there's an understanding now of like, you know, definitely be respectful for everyone that's giving advice, but then just absorb and take in what you actually want to take in. You don't have to take in everything because no one has had the same experience. You can definitely learn and grow from other experiences, but it's you know the you know you know the best on your business and not someone else. So like taking some of that advice definitely transitioned us into some dark phases of our business. I think the biggest advice that I have around like starting your own company is that like have an idea in mind and get validation on an idea. Like, don't just have your ears open that like, oh, I love this. We're going to use it. Like build the super scrappy. I'm brown. I've grown up where, you know, we, my mom would take us to India and she's like, you need to learn how to bargain, especially when it's like buying anything off of the markets and stuff. But I mean, we know how to get the best value for our buck. So we've been really scrappy. And one of our mottos is, a, is that like, how can we do it with the least amount of effort and least amount of resources And just get, you know, just get a foundation or a verification that this is something that needs to be then further developed. So back to the point of like, you know, pursue your side passion and when it takes over your full-time hours and transition into it, but like try to be really scrappy, build out a prototype without coding a single line of code and then showcase that product, actually get users to give their feedback and say like, okay, we need this, or, you know, this is nice, but it's not something that we urgently need. It's a, you know, it's a, vitamin rather than a painkiller so then when you can figure out what that painkiller is 
then go ahead and start putting in your resources and effort into making that prototype become a reality. Such great advice. Why do you think we want to make things perfect before we start? I mean, brand is everything. Like if you release that, like if you release a good brand, people will remember you. But I think, you know, definitely have some level of foundation for your brand. You don't want to come across as like lousy or, you know, too, too much. So there's a good balance of a brand. But I think the reason why we perfect everything is because you know, we're launching a baby out to the world. We don't want to show an imperfect baby. Like this is something that we've been working on. We want to make it as perfect as we can because validation and usage and just feedback on it means a lot. That's why we focus on making it super perfect before we launch. But um, what I've learned is that like, you know, obviously make it look good. It has to look sexy. It has to like, you know, you can't make it lousy. You can't make it ugly, but find a good balance launch something that, you know, gives a basic understanding to your users of what they're looking for. And then after that, focus your energy on making it perfect. Oh, Nikita, you and I, we could talk for hours. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so into this. Um, I've got a couple few questions as we start to wrap up. I guess the first one is, what do you think has been your greatest failure and your greatest success to date on this entrepreneurial journey today? My greatest failure is as the CTO, and the software developer and the product engineer, the greatest failure was actually building a product without getting validation. So I was really excited to just jump in, start like learning how to build technology, started executing lines of code, and then came up with something. And then when we launched it to a few users, it took a, it took a lot to get some users to start using it initially. And I feel that like we had a prototype that we were showing on like video demos and again like these were hr folks that were saying we love this like we'll definitely use it but when it came to actually giving them the product they were like you know it's not what we expected so the greatest i there was a really great learning lesson there again it's like i wish i had built out like i wish i'd gotten more validation on what we were actually building and the need and the pain that we were solving before i started putting my resources into developing and engineering our product that would be the greatest failure. But um, I'm a firm believer in like whenever I make mistakes or whenever something happens or if I ever get rejected, I should learn from what happened and then try not to make that mistake again. And I don't know. I don't think there's anything more successful than actually hearing how the work that you're doing is making an impact on someone else's life. So when we're seeing that we were able to like save thousands of internships this summer, like streamline the experiences and save time and effort and headache on the employer side as well as like gave interns a platform to be able to do their internship to be able to get this professional experience and get paid for it during the tough time I don't think there's anything more satisfying than just hearing that like wow we changed lives we've you know Simba was a game changer and it really did make life easier during such a stressful time in the world right now it's so true I love it Oh, look, Nikita, you know, last the last few years in business for you, you've really gone from strength to strength. You know, you've received a lot of recognition for your work, as you mentioned, being featured in Forbes, 30 Under 30. Um, the company's also been featured in the Washington Post, Fortune, just to name a few. You know, what are three key pieces of advice that you would have given yourself that you wish you got if you were just starting out? Um, try to be as scrappy as you can and from the beginning you know there's always a cheaper way to do something um 
I have, I am an avid networker. I have no shame when it comes to like cold outreach on LinkedIn or anything. I love sliding into people's DMs. <laughs> um, <laughs> have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I do it a lot now, but maybe when I started, I wish I had reached out to more mentors. My dad has been a great mentor for me, like Touchwood. Like he has given me such a solid foundation, has taught me so much about running my own business and has really been a pivotal individual when it comes to even just being a software engineer and CTO for Simba. So I wish I'd reached out to mentors and wasn't afraid to do that in the beginning. I feel like if I had just, you know, reached out to others and said, hey, I'm a budding entrepreneur. I'm really, you know, looking forward to being a CTO and spearheading engineering for the software company that we're thinking about. Is there any advice that you can provide to me? I would love to learn more. And I didn't do that as much. I wish I did that more. I mean, also just to add to that, like, it's really hard to find female CTO mentors and role models these days as well. So I wish I'd started that foundation a little earlier. And third piece of advice would be, I'm so grateful for my co-founder. Like I, it's not really an advice because it's, there's no regrets or anything, but just a piece of advice is like, just make sure that the team that you're building is the right team for the mission of the company. My co-founder is my best friend, my roommate. Like when we met, we've only known each other for two and a half years, but it feels like we've known each other for 10 years. So I'm really grateful and really lucky that I found such an amazing like partner in crime for the business and just like an overall friend in within our business relationship. But the third piece of advice for any budding entrepreneur is that like you can do something by yourself, but if you bring in a team, you'll propel faster and you'll get a lot more fresh perspective. So if you're going to build a team, just make sure that you're bringing on the right people that are equally passionate and have the same values that you're looking to grow in your organization's culture. Amazing. Look, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Nikita, for all the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, and particularly us females and and women of colour, that, you know, if we set our mind to something and, you know, and even if it gets hard, we can actually come through the other end and we can actually make a difference. And I think for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. I mean, I have been fortunate to grow up in a very diverse area as well. And I just, oh, and I, I only want to move forward and just support everyone else next to me and with me. There's the, I believe in so much about in mentorship and supporting others and getting them the resources that they can to succeed because I also received a lot of it. So that's right for me to give it, give it, to take it forward to. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course. Oh my goodness. And the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I would say just like internal satisfaction as well as happiness. I mean, we're on this earth for a purpose of like, you know, being able to support ourselves and our loved ones, if that's a circumstance of being able to just like, like we only have 24 hours a day and we can allocate those 24 hours a day someplace. Right. So as long as you're doing something that you get really excited about and you're able to make an impact in that world, um, impact in the world with what you're doing, that's what gives me a lot of, like, that's what helps me validate the value of what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm not doing this just for myself. I'm not doing this just for the good. And it's for providing other people value and it's for changing lives. And I think that's what's most important for me. At the same time, like to any founder also, just make sure that you're spending, you're giving yourself time that you need 
every day, at least for 45 minutes, I try to just, you know, do something that I like, whether it's cooking, whether it's running, um, listening to music. It's so important to give yourself time too, because you can definitely get burnt out. You can definitely get clouded in and you want to make sure that the work that you're doing is, you know, keeping you up and really excited, but at the same time, you're also giving the time and love that you need to yourself. I love it. Nikita, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, we have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and Simba? Well, definitely check us out at Simba.io. It's S-Y-M-B-A dot I-O. And then connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, and happy to share the handles in the description as well. Perfect. We will link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Nikita. It's been so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.